Good morning, campers. Welcome to the last film of the Carpenter Queen season. On today's casting agenda, we have revenge-sinking mothers, massive amounts of nudity, and a bloody good time lined up for you. Put on your best camping gear, smoke some weed we found in the woods, and join us for our last film of the season. Get out there, campers, and have a slashing good time. They're coming to get you, Barbara. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Welcome to Flight Night. So, like, I finally made it to therapy. And, like, after four weeks, I, they were like, is he gay? And they're like, no, it's just depression. <laughs> Oh, hey, guys. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Carver Queens podcast, coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the TCQ Video Store, where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day. Welcome in, fellow queerdos. I am the author of How I Found Out Stana Isn't Real and 20 Other Lies Your Parents Told You, Raymond. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I see you. I see you looking at my giant knockers my name is nicholas <laughs> you're right babes you're right you're right babes <laughs> welcome our final girl wannabes to our last flick of season one this is episode 29 and we are one more away from our season finale oh. wowza 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 i can't believe we're Finally, at the end of our season, <laughs> finally <laughs> we're done. It, I, I feel like it's been like we've been doing this forever. All tea, all shade. I know it does feel like we've been doing this forever. We've been doing this for since February third, so mm-hmm. almost about half of the year. That's exciting. Who knew that we could do a project for six <laughs> six months? <laughs> Who knew we could keep someone's attention for six months? Shit, barely my own. <laughs> For real. That's why we got to switch it up. We got to switch it up every now and then. (sighs) Do you want to introduce this week's movie? I would love to introduce this week's movie. (laughs) Our last flick in our summer getaways is a summer camp killer classic revamped for a new age. The Carpenter Queens are heading to camp for the first time and going to hang out with everyone's favorite sweet, sweet boy, Jason Voorhees. We are talking the polarizing remake 2009's Friday the 13th. Today, 
It's his birthday. Kill for mommy. Kill for mommy. That was low-key gonna be my opener this week. <laughs> for the occasion, of course. This has now kind of become like a thing for for us is to dress up. Um, how could Raymond is full camp Crystal Lake counselor? Mascot, mascot. What is that? Ascot, bandana. What do we call this? Uh, it's a bandana, but we can call it like a makeshift ascot, I guess. <laughs> as well as a wonderful Jason Voorhees hat. And I am wearing my best Friday the 13th, yes. the video game coloring. Which, by the way, fun fact, everyone, this is where we got our color scheme from for the original artwork for the Carpenter Queens. Bing! Look at that. The more you know. Dun, 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 dun. And she's also got a bandana for a sweaty ass oh. forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Your pimply ass, sweaty ass. <laughs> Moving on, listeners, you can currently stream this early 2000s banger on our favorite streaming service, HBO Max. Seriously, go get HBO Max. Coming through with the bangers for realsies. They have been providing wonderful flicks this whole time. Multiple of these movies we have <laughs> we've watched because of HBO Max. Mm-hmm. All right, campers. We're gonna do what all campers do. Let's go behind cabin 13 and just smoke a quick doobie and find out 420 what you smoking. What did you pair with this week's watch? So in honor of this week's screening, I went out into the woods and found some weed to smoke. <laughs> Only it wasn't really the woods, it was my local park and I couldn't find <laughs> I couldn't find any weed, only meth. So I just came back home and rolled a joint instead. Wow. <laughs> so we just smoked some doobies, some classic Friday the 13th paraphernalia, quite honestly. Yes, yes, yes. I kept it classic with this week's episode because I figured that's the easiest way to smoke at camp is to just, you know, pull a joint, like stuff it in your sock and run with it and then <laughs> spark it up behind the tree. For this week's greeting, I smoked some lemon OG. That's the stuff that I talked about Ooh. last time. It's really tasty. It's very lack of a better term, like stimulating. Oh. Mm. But <laughs> But I needed something that's up and perky because this movie is wild. And <laughs> yes, I feel is. like smoking is just a part of Friday the 13th tradition. Mm -hmm. I associate weed with Friday the 13th. And I part of the reason why I kind of like this remake is that they go full weed. Full weed. Mm -hmm. We go full stoner. We have a full on stoner character who I low-key forgot about. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get to the reason why later. But um, yeah, we... Total stoner movie, like, because that's what Friday the 13th, the whole series is about. It's about kids and debauchery, smoking, <laughs> debauchery, <drinking>, having sex. <laughs> it's so good. And I feel like Friday the 13th was a great way to close out our first season. We are, if you cannot tell by the 30th episode, horny stoners who like to talk about horror and watch bad things happen. Hey, make that into an acronym, y'all. Fuck this <laughs> Let's cadaver up this movie for Friday the 13th, released February 13th, of course, 2009, with a runtime of one hour and 37 minutes, unless you were watching the killer cut, which goes to about an hour 46, so about an additional like nine minutes on your flick. Our taglines. You know his name. You know his story. On Friday the 13th, witness his resurrection. 
Prepare for the day everyone fears. Jason lives, many will die. Welcome to Crystal Lake. Some of those are pretty solid. Actually, not all of them are great. <laughs> I mean, not everyone can be a winner, honey. But like <laughs> some of these are, I actually really like the first one. You know his name, you know his story on Friday the 13th. 13th witness his resurrection mm-hmm. sick yes please because it had been a freaking minute since we'd had i'm gonna say a good friday the 13th uh, i'm mm-hmm. gonna leave that at that i'm looking yeah. at jason x oh you love jason x but i i love jason x but i am fully aware that jason x is atrocious it is it is a bad movie but i love bad movies so i'll just True. leave it at that uh yeah i agree i love the first one even though I'm not the biggest fan of long-winded uh, taglines, uh, this one is just enough yeah. for me. And You like them straight to the point. I like them quick and snappy. <laughs> I also love the Welcome to Crystal Lake, Prepare for the Day. No, that one's all right. Whatever. Those are the two. I hate you. Moving on to the breakdown. Directed by Marcus Nispel, who directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 2003, but is known for directing music videos. I feel like that kind of shows. Is it just me or does like no! it makes sense? It it's, makes sense to me. It's literally in my notes word for word that this reminds me so much of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. And honestly, I didn't know that it was the same director until this exact moment reading your notes. Really? I didn't know it was the same director and it makes total sense because they are tonally the exact same movies. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a very dangerous statement before anyone attacks us. Because uh, the Friday the 13th, this remake in particular, should we just open Pandora's box? We're going to get to it either way. I will state, I enjoy this movie. And I feel <gasps> like for... Uh, <laughs> shut up. You do too. <gasps> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so exposed right now. I enjoy this movie more Mm -hmm. so than I like to admit because this remake is people are so quick to jump and be like, how can you like this Friday the 13th movie? That's not, that's not my Jason. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about why this isn't people get very upset because this is a very different take on Jason. Mm -hmm. I agree. I also agree that it is my, I, I love this movie and it's one of my favorite Friday the 13th. Um, and we're coming out and being vulnerable about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am not ashamed of said statement, but I agree. And I, I love it because I don't want to give it away. I love it. And we'll get to the reason why I love it. Okay. We can talk about it. We're going to be talking about it for this whole episode. So <laughs> moving on for our script, it is based on the characters created by Victor Miller with the story and screenplay by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift. Mark Wheaton is also credited for the story. And Damien and Shannon and Mark, Damien and Shannon, Damien Shannon and Mark Swift, we're going to talk about them in a couple seconds because they made one of, <laughs> honestly, one of our most popular episodes. And I know why. You, it's in the notes. You'll see. Okay. <laughs> you see my confusion. <laughs> Moving on to casting, starring Jerry Padalecki as Clay Miller. Oh, Danielle. Oh my God. You have a hard on for Jared Padalecki. He's fucking huge too. He's like six five. Oh, I f- it. He fuck it better. Tell me about that last six inches we're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle Panna Baker as Jenna. Amanda Rigetti as Whitney Miller. Travis Von Winkle as Trent. That's a terrible last name. I hope that isn't a that stage a wild name. name? 
I th- I looked him up. I was like, are you from like a dynasty of some sort? Because Van Winkle, <laughs> like Van Winkle, uh, Van Winkle. I'm approaching. Cannot, you cannot marry into the Van Winkle dynasty, <laughs> hunty. Erin, you as Chewy are infamous stoner. Yes, I, I'm gonna gush about about him this whole movie because I love his character and he doesn't get enough screen time. I disagree. Ooh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving Der- on. Derek Mears as Jason Warhees, Caleb Gus as a young Jason, Jonathan Sadowski as Wade, Juliana Gill as Bree. Ben Feldman as Richie, Arlen Escarpita as Lawrence, Ryan Hansen as Nolan, Willa Ford as Chelsea, Nick Menel as Mike, America Oliva, Olivo, excuse me, as Amanda, Kyle Davis as Donnie, Richard Berge as Officer Brack, and Nana Visitor as Pamela Voorhees, with the voice of Pamela played by Kathleen Garrett. It's pretty crazy that they had a different voice for her i guess she couldn't pull it off or what like it's hard (laughs) i'm assuming that the the actress who played her just didn't have that like maybe as closeness to the original pamela Voorhees as they wanted Mm. but who knows but i do like the voice actress because the voiceover work is always great agreed Um, for this cast jared padalecki i think he's so cute he literally looks like a disney prince like come to life he is <laughs> so attractive to me however i've never seen a fucking single episode of supernatural i don't plan to but he reminds me of the early 2000s remakes because he's in this one and he's also in house of wax <gasps> he is in house of wax mm-hmm. Ding, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. um <laughs> I agree. I love Jared Padalecki. I know him from Gilmore Girls. I'm a huge Gilmore Girls fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan. And I also and- love him in House of Wax. I love House of Wax. But Danielle Panabaker, I know from Disney Channel. She's like a Disney Channel star. Yeah, I know. But seeing her in this from that relation That's is really, it like really like shooketh me when the movie does like a. A bait and switch for me. Mm-hmm. Also, you could totally tell she was a Disney star. She's got that oh, Disney yeah. star face, and she's also the only <laughs> she's also the only one who didn't show her titties. So it's that Disney Channel money. You don't want to lose that shit. <laughs> Hi, it's fucking Mickey. She, that, she didn't show her titties. She's the good girl. Besides that, Aaron, you, I believe he was also in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. <gasps> he was, but I'm not going to talk about that movie. Don't get mad at me. We're not going to talk about that movie. We won't bring it up. It's okay. No, we don't don't talk about that movie here. (laughs) For our reviews. I like, hold on. Hold on. You just totally glaze over the rest of the cast. And I want to get to it really quick because I'm just going to, I'm going to say it right now. I don't like any of these characters of this movie. Oh, no. No, I never once said that this movie had nice characters. That's it. (laughs) Not a single person. I don't sympathize for any of them. I don't care about any of them. Maybe Jared Padalecki a little bit, but even his character is kind of a throwaway. (laughs) So I'm saying that now. These are all very trash, (laughs) trash characters. I fully agree, which is what plays to this movie's strengths because when they freaking die... I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And we'll talk about it. For our reviews, we have an IMDb score of 5.5 out of 10, a Metacritic of 34 out of 100, AV Club 
D for Rotten Tomatoes, twenty six percent on the Tomato Meter score, forty six percent on the Audience score. Holy These shit! Might be close to one of the lowest scores that we've had. Ghost mm-hmm. of Mars, ding ding ding, is one of the lower ends as well. Justice for Ghost of Mars. Justice for Cursed. Also, go listen to our Cursed episode because those are also two pretty bad movies. This, however, is weird to me. I feel like these reviews came out during that time period of 2009. Mm -hmm. And this was during that craze when when everything was going on. Looking back on it now, I don't agree. I don't agree with, I don't agree with this. We're also biased. I can see where they're coming from because like you said, This came out during all of those remakes. All obviously, he the director <laughs> did the Texas Chainsaw remake, <laughs> which we also love. Hmm. But no one's I, gonna come back for season two after all of these confessionals. <laughs> I can see why it got the reviews that it did. Everybody yeah. was sick of these reboots by this point. I feel like mm-hmm. much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Freddy or sorry, uh, Friday the Thirteenth is held. To, on a very high pedestal. The fans who are fans of this of this series are diehard fans. They know the storylines, they know the reiterations, they know the characters, they know the kills. So this deviated very much from what the classic Friday the 13th is. And I think- That's where these scores are coming from? Yes, that and also because it got just, I feel like it got lost with all these reboots and remakes. People were just sick of it by this point. So they were just mm-hmm. like, coming for their throats and i feel like that makes total sense and i feel like looking on back on it now from this perspective is that i actually enjoy it now more than i i I think i remembered that i did because i haven't seen this movie in a very long time so when we put it on our schedule i was very excited because i remembered my initial reactions to this movie and rewatching it i wasn't necessarily i was not disappointed however i did find like oh it was like okay this is where people got upset. But this movie, I feel like, is so meta without actually being, like, referencing and meta things mm-hmm. that it still stands out on its own as kind of like a weird meta Friday the 13th without being a weird meta Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Does that make uh, sense? Totally. I agree because, and this is going to be a very controversial statement, uh, to me, this movie, like took the best of all of the movies from the franchise and kind of melded it into one movie because the I don't want to get too much into the details. I want to wait, I want to wait for the breakdown. Nick is dancing, y'all, because they totally <laughs> agree with me. Because the, the opening is epic and that's just the opening credits. And then the first 20 minutes is just the opening and that's fucking epic. To me, it was just kind of like uh, whoever it was kind of like a love letter to the franchise in my opinion and people may not agree and that's totally fine yeah that's you have every opinion. right to your opinion. My opinion because I'm gonna I'm just gonna bounce on top of what you talked about because that is exactly what this movie is it is our favorite stuff from the Friday the 13th movies trying to really do something that deviates from the original mythology but I don't ever feel like it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. i feel like the rebooting craze was literally just like wash and paint wash and paint wash and paint while this one was technically a wash and paint it however really kind of took the time to try to explain some things that jason did while also trying to revamp him that makes him scary to me this is the first jason that i'm scared of yes i agree he is large and in charge bitch and (laughs) funky he's 
frightening. So I He's agree. very frightening. This was uh, a nice breath of fresh air. And if you were going to reboot such an iconic killer, in my opinion, this was the way to do it. Yeah, because they tried doing new things with our Nightmare on Elm Street reboot, but that was Ooh. just... <laughs> Thank you. They went the okay. complete opposite direction. They made a meek and mild. What the fuck? I know. I know. We're going to continue talking about it because this... If you can't tell from my reactions, this brings up a lot for people. Like, I feel like I really kind of have to defend my opinion. <laughs> because I, I think this movie is good. I don't think it's fantastic. <laughs> but it's no, a good movie. Yeah, it's definitely not without its faults. Just like any other movie we cover, we recognize there are faults. Right. So let's dive in. For our production, we had a budget of $19 million with estimated, with a box office worldwide gross of $91 million. So it definitely made some money back. Yeah. You can't argue with those numbers. I'm sure no. it probably wasn't enough to incite, clearly, a whole new franchise. But it's <laughs> significant enough to talk about. Absolutely. Moving on to development and script, New Line Cinema approached Platinum Dunes producers Michael Bay, Brad Fuller, and Andrew Forum about remaking the Friday the 13th series in the same vein of the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It would take a full year to obtain said rights to the film and to an agreement that was given on how distribution would be handled. Paramount Picture would give Platinum Dunes full license to use anything from the original films. This, however, would change as the team did not want to make a part 11 or 12 in the franchise, but to rework the mythology. As a way to reintroduce Jason into like the modern world, the team behind the film wanted to blend the old with the new. And in order to make that make sense of like Jason's, um, I'm going to say magical moments, <laughs> where he can just appear and reappear in certain places, they brought in this introduction of a new tunnel and layer system. They wanted to make Jason smarter, faster, and stronger. And I think that f***ing works here. Because you mentioned it. This Jason is large and in charge. <laughs> and I think I've mentioned it before. Nothing freaks me out more than a ferocious, like, physical type of guy who moves mm -hmm. fast. You're this giant linebacker who's charging at me, then now I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's horrifying to see somebody that large moving that quickly at you. <laughs> Like, that's why the, the victims in this movie just, like, are paralyzed in fear. You don't know what to do when something's that large and moving that fast at you. They make him scary. And I feel like that's a big, not necessarily a big departure, but I feel like Jason kind of got to a point where we all know Jason can't die. And it kind of, like any other franchise, it just went weird mm -hmm. and did some weird things. This scaled it down and tried to make sense of it while still making him terrifying. Agreed. This would allow them to reference iconic moments within the franchise and utilize it to their own story. This would include the sackhead from part two, Pamela in part one, and Jason's hockey mask in part three and create this like new thing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like, like I said, it takes all like these iconic moments from the franchise and melds it into one. So I love that we got the original sack face, uh, Jason. And then Sick. we got the um, original killer from Friday the 13th, if y'all don't know, spoiler alert, Pamela Voorhees. And then uh, of course, Jason's iconic hockey mask that he finally got in part three. So I mean, what's not to like? You get all the iterations of Jason, besides Jason X. <laughs> we won't even mention. I guess I'm gonna be, we've been controversial all day. I might as well you know, ruffle more feathers. There's a lot of parts of Friday the 13th that I can't, I just don't like. I think it's bogus. I don't think it works. I think it's weird. 
I mean, hello, Manhattan doesn't even take fully in Manhattan. It's like the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> yeah, I said it. You need to leave. So the fact that they're trying to take like our favorite parts is why I think this one is probably among my most favorite of the Friday series. Because not every Friday movie holds my attention. Because let's be honest here, Sid, uh, those early ones kind of drag, you know, and the dialogue's not the best. And let's face it, the dialogue's not great in this one either. No, for entirely different (laughs) reasons. (laughs) But I agree. Some of them kind of drag. And this one's like quick and snappy and scary. TCQ video alumni Damian Shannon and Mark Swift, the writers from Freddy vs. Jason, would be brought on to work on the script. They wanted to create a Jason who would survive off the land and whose killings presented as were presented as a way for Jason to defend his territory rather than just like randomly choosing people to kill. Mm-hmm. So in and it worked, in my opinion. A lot of his killings were just because he was trying to protect his like lair in this, in his this home. iteration. He's got a home, yeah. Even at one point, Tommy Jarvis, a character who appears in the final chapter of 1984, a new beginning of 1985, and Jason Lives in 1986, was at one point in talks to return as Jason's nemesis. For casting, stuntman Derek Mears would be hired to bring Jason Voorhees to life. Before production even began, Mears had heard of the Friday film being developed and would begin physically training to pursue the role, even though he was unaware that the producers were already suggesting him for this role. That is so cute. Can you imagine me like, oh, you've already been suggest you've already been suggested for the role. I would have been so honored. Imagine like, oh, I want to go for this role, and yet he like, no, like we want to give it to you. Oh, okay, cool, thanks. Because <laughs> did you watch any of the behind the scenes on this one? Mm-hmm. Did you peep anything underneath? Because he is stacked. He is built. Yeah, that is a big man, Maury. That is a big man. I saw the titties and they were out. They were out. They also, and I'm sure we're going to get to it. There was also a lot of special effects that we didn't even get to see that were underneath. According to Mears, he relates to Jason and believes outcasts do as well. Uh, Jason represents people who are bullied and that Jason is unusual due to him exacting revenge on those that tormented him. I can fully see that. And I can see why people identify with Jason. There's that catharsis that we've mentioned before of like you seeing these people who are doing bad things get their mm-hmm. comeuppets. So I can see that. I just, in this movie, I'm going to say in this movie in particular, I understand that they want us to personalize a little bit more with Jason. But but, <laughs> but uh, Jason is just like... Uh, Not a personable the, killer? <laughs> he's just like a mountain of a killer. Like, I can't personalize something underneath the mask. Yeah, that that is very true. Apparently, Richard Berge, who portrayed Sheriff Brack, wasn't actually hired until 12 hours before they needed to be filming his character's scenes. What?! So apparently, because there are so many cast members in this film, I honestly had difficulty keeping track of who was who, whose name this was, because there there's so many players in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because there were so many players in this movie, they kept shifting people and doing different combinations up until literally the end, like the beginning of filming, clearly, because he wasn't hired until they were like, oh, we film in the morning. Can you be, can you like be here? They literally like picked up the phone. And they're like, hey, call time's tomorrow at seven. Can you be there? <laughs> Nobody asked. By the way, here's your script. Make sure you know all your lines. No excuses. Bye. He only had five lines anyways. <laughs> <laughs> he had a cool death though. He did. Speaking of cool deaths. 
For filming and special effects, for Jason's new look, special effects artist Scott Stoddard would combine Carl Fullerton's designs from part two and Tom Savini's designs in the final chapter. This new look would give Jason with hair loss, skin rashes, and quote, traditional deformities to his face. Stoddard would try and craft a look that would allow Jason to appear more on the human side compared to like the monster that he had become in the later mm -hmm. iterations. Which I appreciate. We got mm -hmm. to like a weird point where he was really like severely deformed. They didn't and, even like, look human. Or Ray and like a demon stuff. Like it was odd. Yeah. We were getting some weird like choices. Choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it got to a point where he was he had like the flesh tone of a zombie. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Mirrors would be required to wear full body makeup from the chest up while performing as Jason. A chest plate with fake skin that would adjust to his movements was used, and even a hump on his back to give the impression that Jason had scoliosis. That is oddly specific. But I appreciate the full chest prosthetic and all that that we didn't even get to see on camera. It's like I saw it on the behind the scenes, and I was like, I looked at him and was like, we didn't see any, any of, of this. None of this was shown. Nor there was also like multiple casts for um, like child Jason. And you yeah. saw him for like two seconds in the opening credits. In the opening credits. In the dark, with the rain, thunder and lightning, and there was flashes. Said your baddest moment I've been there. <laughs> but, I agree. It, it, <laughs> but I agree because it, I don't want to say it was unnecessary because I'm sure it also aided in Mir's performance as Jason, knowing that all of this was here and how he was supposed to move with all of this. But like, I wish I could have seen all that interesting work, but I don't know how you would have at one point gotten like Jason shirtless. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it was <laughs> sexy time with Jason by the campsite and he was going to go rub one out and he just no. like unbutted stop, his stop, overalls stop. and then slid his hand <laughs> down his slimy torso. <laughs> The total time to get into makeup would be around three and a half hours for the head and torso. Only about one hour if he wore the hockey mask, but a, a torturous four hours if Jason's face is revealed. And my got tripping? it for like a second. Okay, I was like, second. I don't even remember a face reveal. It was before, it was after the farmer was trying to like jerk one off, but before he died. Oh, wow. And for lastly, for our infamous hockey mask, Stoddard was inspired by the third and fourth films. Using his own original mold, he would make six new versions of this mask and design his very own. And I really like this mask. It's not in my like top two, but I really like this one because it feels a little cleaner, but also mm -hmm. classic. Does that make sense? Total. And I agree. I I like this mask. It's classic. It's clean, but not too clean. It's vintage. He can see through it. He can breathe through it. He can slide it right off if he needs to. Wait, oh. Well, everybody, <laughs> we're going to go make friendship bracelets during this ad, and we'll be right back for the movie. <laughs> Mine's going to be red or purple. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our film opens with the classic score of 
June 13th, 1980. In black and white, a storm washes over Camp Crystal Lake as a young camp counselor limps through the forest holding a machete. She's panting and fearfully running away from something. She's then approached by Pamela Voorhees who states that she let Jason drown and that she killed her sweet boy. That the counselors of the lake should have been watching him every minute. Pamela lunges at the young counselor, but she retaliates and chops Aunt Pamela's head off with a single swing and makes a run for it into the forest. Unbeknownst to either Pamela nor the counselor, a young Jason was watching from the bushes the whole time. Jason mourns over the death of his mother and takes a locket from her now decapitated head. In a voiceover, Pamela instructs Jason, Jason, my special, special boy. They must be punished, Jason, for what they did to you. For what they did to me, kill for mother. <laughs> I okay. So this is these are literally our opening credits. It's overplayed over credits, and I cannot get. I, I still can't get over how quickly they decided to address the origin story. How quickly we're gonna go through this origin story. How effective it was done because I don't think people give this opening enough credit. Agree, 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 100% agree. This was a beautiful and clever way to quickly give anyone who hasn't seen or isn't familiar with the franchise a quick rundown on what Jason's backstory is. It's essentially just gives you the entirety of Friday the 13th part one. Ooh, mm -hmm. Jason's mother turned out to be the killer because the uh, horny camp counselors weren't watching him. Like I said, it eventually just recaps the entirety of Friday the 13th Part 1. Spoiler alert, Pamela Voorhees is actually the killer in Friday the 13th Part 1. If you've never seen Scream or if you've never seen Friday the 13th Part 1, you didn't know Or that. anything. Do you own a lunchbox? <laughs> so like, it, like we've stated, this is a great opening. It's not even an opening, it's just the opening credits. It's insane and it's so beautifully done. It's so stylistic. I think that's why I really enjoy it because to me in my weird twisted brain, this is some weird horror version of like Wizard of Oz. Cause we start out in black and white and right after this, we go into color. And I think it's so, it's so, it's like the littlest minute thing. But for me, it makes a difference because it casts this like weird origin story so fast. I agree. I agree. And it's so well done. It is. And could, I, I love her. Uh, anytime Pamela goes off the rails and has like a monologue, I'm always here for it. <laughs> it's so drama. We cut to the now in color Crystal Lake in the present day. We meet up with a group of extremely horny hikers. Two members of the group, Richie and Wade, are deceivingly trying to find a field of weed. They want to harvest and resell, but don't tell the remaining group of their intentions. Not knowing where to go, they set a spot and camp for the night. In true horror tradition, over a campfire and Pabs glue ribbon on ice. <laughs> they discuss the legend that is Jason Voorhees, the night he watched his mother being beheaded and the lore that follows him. They discuss his origins and if he even exists. What do we think of this unknowingly cold open? It's like a, it's pretty basic in all honesty. Mm -hmm. Like we are getting our tropes, essentially. We are getting our next victims. Um, we are setting up the story. This is where we get our introduction to the characters that I just don't care for. Mm -hmm. oh, actually, no, that's a lie. Those are the other characters, but I don't really care for these ones either. Although the, <laughs> they're there, it's a thing. How do you feel? 
So for this, and the only reason why I asked you this question is when I first watched this movie, I didn't know this was going to be a cold open. I thought our movie opened. So when we're introduced to all of these characters and their dynamics and things like that, I'm like, okay, I'm settling in. I'm settling <laughs> in for like what, what was going to happen unfold because you were right. And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't like this movie. This movie plays on nothing but tropes. It is a trope film however i feel like it knows that it's doing it it knows that Mm -hmm. all of these that these are all horny hikers that they're gonna do shit that is gonna make jason upset because to me this movie feels like a true honest to god like 70 to 80s horror slasher flick more so than any of the other remakes did not a joke just a fact i agree i agree and i think it's because they stuck to the formula is a very simple formula everybody's a suspect uh, but like I said, they they stuck to the formula, they stuck to the tropes, and yeah, that kind of hindered them in a way because it turned a lot mm-hmm. of people off, but it also aided them in a way because it's that's what the fucking Friday, that's what the, 13th Friday franchise- the 13th is. Thank you! <laughs> it's a, that's what the whole franchise is based off of, it's tropes. Setting up these tropes and killing them. Setting up these kids and killing them. And doing it flawlessly. Because they're doing the ultimate sin. They're trying to find this uh, this... The devil's lettuce. <laughs> it's a, a giant field of devil's lettuce. And I I kind of love this weird, small, minute detail that was added into this movie that was apparently added in from the director. None of the writers take ownership of the over this like <laughs> weed field. But I like it. I don't know what it's because I guess we're stoners, but it adds this like element of like newness because we've talked about weed in Friday the 13th before. Hello. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's kind of like a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, self-referential type of thing. Right. After discussing Jason and how one can drink their own piss. What did he say? And what they would do in a survival situation. <laughs> like these are, all of these characters are so crude. We're crude. I think that's very self, very aware. These <laughs> characters are so crude. They're so horny. They're all here for just a good time. And the, that's a fucking 80 slasher if I ever heard one, you know? I, I, yeah. And I think people, or at least audience at the time, was expecting them to take the formula or to take the franchise and run with it, do something different. And they could have, but it it would have been a 50-50 toss-up of whether or not it would have worked or not. And sticking with the same formula and just amping up the volume on certain things would have been an almost guaranteed way, and obviously it was a guaranteed way, to get the reboot they wanted and to make their money back. And it could have led to something great if all this shit wasn't locked up in litigation. I don't want to touch that. That litigation is ridiculous. And I still feel really bad that we can't get any new Friday the 13th anything because of that lawsuit. But we digress. Two members of the group, Mike and Whitney, trail off and discuss her worry about leaving her mom alone in the hospital. Being a wonderful partner, her boyfriend tries to persuade her to have sex in their tent to forget her worries, but they decide to venture off and explore instead. Back at the campfire, Wade and Richie discuss how close they are to their weed jackpot. Too distracted by his girlfriend's full-blown, oiled-up striptease set to porn music, Richie leaves to have his own hanky-panky adventure with Bree. While the last couple sets up their fest, the last remaining member, Wade, goes into the forest to piss and finds his treasured cannabis farm. Okay, so I I need to talk about this because I also made a mistake. This character's name, the girl's, the, the female character's name is not Bree. But none of the female characters, literally except for Jenna, have 
a personality or oh, an outside of Whitney, but like none of them have any distinguishing characteristics because I forget there's two blonde female characters at towards the end of this movie and I couldn't tell them apart. At one point I was like, I thought she died. Nope, <laughs> totally different character. <laughs> because so we, we haven't even like talked about this strip tease where she's just like, ooh, ooh, my it? Oh my God. So this is totally a Michael Bay produced film totally. because of the scene. She, they're trying to discuss the weed farm or whatever. And behind the nerdy one who's wearing the Star Wars t-shirt, she's over there unzipping her little, what is that? Like a baby fat tracksuit. I <laughs> hate <laughs> With the bedazzled juicy on the ass. <laughs> and then she starts oiling up her very busty, very nice. They're wonderful. They're very wonderful. He's like, what? What's going on? And then she throws her, her bra or whatever. And that's when he gets the hint that he needs to take a hike. It's so... It. <laughs> this is one of many breast shots that we will get in this movie. It is mm-hmm. very early 2000s. It is so... 80s because what is a slasher without some tna thank you so i can understand why people have feelings against it however i'm not i'm not necessarily defending it but i also associate gratuitous amounts of nudity with horror if they just kind of go hand in hand it's that outlandish behavior on top of seeing murders you're supposed to get all of the sex and violence thank you it's it's what this whole franchise was built on what are we not getting here Thank you. But suddenly, a behemoth bag-wearing Jason quickly charges at Wade and kills him off screen. Mike and Whitney find their way to the remains of Camp Crystal Lake. It has been left since that night in 1980. They eventually find a few shrines and random objects left behind by someone. Mike finds Jason's locket and discovers a woman inside who looks eerily similar to Whitney. Back at the campsite, Richie and not Bree, totally wrote that wrong, (laughs) but back at the campsite, Richie and his girlfriend are fucking up a storm in their tent. Excuse me, lady. Suddenly, she doesn't want to continue when they hear someone outside the tent. I think Wade's watching us. What? Well, fuck it. Let the perv watch. Right? Wade, if you're out there whacking it, it's not cool. Come on, man. (laughs) They're going at it, and I will totally admit, I am not afraid to ashamed to say it. Richie's hot. I think he's so hot. That actor is so hot. I've Mm. seen him in multiple things, and I think he's so cute. He's in As Above, So Below. But this, I don't know. This uh, this happens. There was some it's serious. So this is some serious thing going on in that tent. Oh, I know, I know. And and again later on, the, the sex scenes in this movie are so. I'm like, this is porn. <laughs> like, it, it was Skinamax, bitch. Actually, I think it was a little more hardcore than Skinamax. Was this movie rated R? It was, of course, this movie is rated R. Look at it. They took that rated R and ran with it. I mean, I'm not mad at it. Even if it is tits, why not? <laughs> oh, they're interrupted again when more noise is heard, with Bree making Richie go outside to investigate in classic horror fashion. I'm not going out there with the boner. <laughs> I hate that line. It's so stupid and I love it. Richie eventually makes his way out to find Wade's chopped off ear until he dov- discovers his bloodied corpse. At the same time, Bree, not Bree, is attacked <laughs> by Jason and ripped out of the tent. When Richie reaches the campsite, he finds Amanda trapped in her. Oh, her bed. name's Amanda. Her name's Amanda. See, it changes. I couldn't. Even, 
I couldn't even. Well, the sad part is I wasn't even high when I wrote up this this film. B. I just couldn't tell you their names. Where did you get Brie from? Brie is one of the girls' names later on. I just kept getting all of their names confused. They're all forgettable characters anyways. I said what I said. He finds the now Amanda trapped in her sleeping bag, <laughs> tied over a roaring fire as she burns to death. Richie races to rescue her when he is suddenly caught in a bear trap and watches as she burns to death. This is a very grotesque, violent death, and I live for it. I do too. I, in my opinion, this is the most grotesque death because burning alive like that is horrifying. Mm-hmm. And when she rips out of that bag and the smoke's coming, like still steaming off of her, I like that this is the first death because this movie said we're going there. We are killing all of, we're killing everybody and we're going to kill them in ways that we want to. Death to all of them. Oh, because Jason always does like a sick sleeping bag kill. Oh, yeah. And in this one, Amanda is steamed to perfection. She's thrown in the oven at 350, bitch, until she's nice and crispy. (laughs) Set it and forget it. (laughs) Back at Camp Crystal Lake, Mike and Whitney find Pamela's head amongst a candle shrine. Mike lures himself to the floor to investigate a noise when all of a sudden, Jason's machete pierces through the floorboards over and over, slashing at Mike's hands, legs, feet, and body until Jason rips Mike through the floorboards underneath as he screams for Whitney to run. I have to give admiration to this set piece because that shit freaks me out. Every time you see the slicing, uh-huh. of, ooh, 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 it's it like it's hard for me personally to watch. It's a, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it, I, I very much empathize in this scene. Like, I feel like I put myself in that character's position. I'm just like freaking out. And I can only imagine how horrifying it is to have somebody grab you from underneath the floorboards and drag you underneath. Jason is so violently aggressive in this, this one. He's kind of like a roided out WWE wrestler who's not taking no shit. (laughs) So all of the WWE wrestlers. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Whitney makes her way back to the campsite and witnesses Amanda's burnt corpse and tries to save Richie from the trap until Jason charges at full speed towards the two and swings his machete down on Richie's head, splitting it open. Whitney shuffles and crawls away in terror as Jason rushes towards her and swings. We cut to black. The film finally reveals its title card and we cut to six weeks later. Gagged, gooped, and gutted is all again, I can Again, again, I'm gagged, gooped, and gutted. I thought we were, like you said, I thought we were jumping into the movie only to have it revealed as another fucking cold open. They d- they pulled a scream. They pulled a scream right under me without doing like a Drew Barrymore. Like uh-huh. they, they, I cannot over like explain how I love this. Tw- it, we finally start like the storyline we're going to continue on at the 25 minute mark. Mm-hmm. They spent 25 minutes setting up just to show you how this new Jason is scary. The- Come on, psycho. <laughs> like, I always call this 25 minute open the best Friday the 13th movie that like never was a standalone. This is a Friday the 13th movie in a nutshell. There's weed there's boobs and there's horrifying killings like what more do you want sex drugs and rock and roll babes that's exactly what that was that cold open was everything and it sets up um a catalyst almost for our mm-hmm. now characters and storyline 
which I appreciate because we don't recognize that this opening seg segment connects to our later on story and I think in a way that it works but also doesn't work. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> we open with a new, well not open, it was sort of open, uh, with a new group of friends who make their way to an outpost for gas and to stop. Of course they made their way to stop at a gas station. You have to, tis tradition. I know. Lawrence, Trent, Nolan, Chewy, and Jenna are heading to Transparent's cabin near Camp Crystal Lake. While at the outpost, they run into Clay, who was looking for his missing sister, Whitney, who we met earlier in the cold open. Trent, being a total ass and douchebag, tells Clay he's being a <laughs> dick and taking up space, and they have a small confrontation. Jenna apologizes for her boyfriend's behavior as they leave for the cabin. I also, I'm totally sorry. I excluded two other characters because I forgot that they were there. There's two other blonde characters. There's so many characters and they all, they're all the same. And I'm sorry, everybody. I tried. Okay. This is the last episode. They're all mean? white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. <laughs> it's just, they're all tropes. Quite honestly, and this is I guess a disrespect, whatever, to Cabin in the Woods. This is what Cabin in the Woods wanted to do, just with less jokes. Does that make sense? That makes sense. There's also shade. Girl, the shade, the shade of it all. I'll, I'll shade. I already said how I said what I said about Cabin in the Woods. But like this, it's following, it's a, you're right, it's a very specific <laughs> formula. <laughs> and they're you. doing it. They're doing it for everybody. And they're doing it. Okay, Leah. I wasn't going to say flaw. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, there's... Why does, like, every character... Or not even character, because this happens in real life. Why does every man who's, like, a total dick douchewad, like, always have, like, a sweet girlfriend who's, fought, like, trailing behind him, apologizing for all his actions? Why? Why is that a thing? Jenna's character, I'm just going to state it, is toxic as shit. She, he's toxic as shit. Everybody, you're right. They're all toxic. They're all toxic. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. All of them. I don't give a fuck. The only person that I care for is Clay. And it's mainly because I find him extremely attractive. <laughs> Besides that, I want them all to die. I want every single one of these characters Same. to to die a brutal death. And you can call me masochistic, but this is a horror podcast. If you're not here for deaths, what the fuck are you here for? And maybe that was their intention with these characters was to like make them unsympathetic. Unlikable. So, we so we got like, when we got their um, epic kills that we were just cheering on Jason. If that was the case and kudos bitch. But if you were trying to get us to sympathize with these characters, you failed miserably. And I think that's where they fucked up with the Clay and Whitney character. We'll get to, we'll get to those as we get along. But you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think they wanted to make them unlikable, especially Trent. Trent is Ooh! just a piece of garbage, and I am so no, happy. No garbage, with you guys. mama, not garbage. Garbage, mama. Garbage is the one level above garbage. <laughs> we'll get more into it as we move along, but. The introduction of these characters, it's its classic. They're all tropes. And I don't know what else you're kind of looking for in a Friday the 13th movie. T. Clay is stopped by Officer Brack while he rides his motorcycle to talk about Clay looking for his sister. Even trying to state that Whitney just possibly ran off with her boyfriend, even though Whitney was taking care of their dying mother. Clay even states that when their mother did pass, Whitney didn't show up for the funeral. Although presented with this new information, Officer Brack tells him to move on. That sucks. Like, how are you going to tell someone, like, whatever, whatever. I wanted him to die anyway. 
<laughs> that is a dick <laughs> thing to say, but also I think like this town knows like when people go missing around here, they don't come back. I like that. I like that aspect, but I will say, I will say, don't take things from Texas Chainsaw that you already did and then <laughs> write and do it. In That's exactly the what it was. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. Uh-huh. And whatevs, they all die anyway. Once they arrive at the cabin, we discover more of their dynamics. They're all essentially assholes playing archetypes. See, the, then I remember their names. Brie and Chelsea are blondes. <laughs> Trent is a white, rich asshole. Chewy is the comic relief and stoner. Lawrence is our token POC. And Jenna is our quote-unquote good girl. Clay, still searching for Whitney, though, finds his way to a home and a dog jump scare. He speaks to an older woman who tells Clay, She ain't missing. She's dead. People go messing around here. They're dead. I tell you, she dead. She gives an ominous warning about someone wanting to be left alone you do but do you see what i mean by the texas chainsaw like this wasn't necessary for the friday the 13th but he you can completely tell that the director of the first one really liked aspects and brings it over uh-huh. here because we run into it again literally with the truck like in texas chainsaw <laughs> yeah i i mean if it ain't broke don't fix it i get it but i guess but you didn't have to like take the exact same elements you use in a movie it like, might even, even be the same actress prior. if we're seeing... <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna need a side by side seriously i wouldn't doubt it if it was clay eventually finds his way to a barn and startles a farmer working near a wood chipper jesus christ you fucking luck there stretch come that close to hitting the start button on a whoop ass machine boy <laughs> <laughs> I, oh I will admit I love this fucking stupid character he's gross he's perverted he's a stereotype and I think he, this actor is fucking hilarious and he's got weed wow. Clay tries to get more information on Whitney even after the farmer hits on his picture of Whitney <laughs> and the <laughs> farmer even tries to sell him weed that he's recently found but Clay leaves empty handed I would have at least bought an ace like what the fuck he said something like a nug like for fine can I have a nug like I'll try it out Right? Be like, uh, can I get a sample? And then I'll decide if I want to purchase from you. Is it organic? <laughs> organic, homegrown, locally sourced. <laughs> Back at the cabin, Nolan and one of the blonde girls takes Trent's car to the <laughs> lake. <laughs> takes Trent's car to the lake and take Trent's boat without his permission. Clay makes his way to the cabin to ask around, but Jenna invites him against Trent's wishes. Before a fight starts, uh, Jenna walks Clay out and follows Clay to the lake to keep him company. So this is where I don't get Jenna. Jenna is literally just like a catalyst to like, not even a catalyst. She's just a device to move plot points around because yeah. she doesn't really have emotions towards Trent. Like, I don't even, like, I wouldn't have known that they were together if at one point Trent didn't be like, this is my girl. I wouldn't have known that they were together. Nor do I really care. But like this, it just feels like a, we're doing this plot point so we can separate these characters so we can do this thing, right? So we can further our story. Essentially, (laughs) because she, I I can understand why she's like, like helping this guy out. She feels bad. Obviously his sister's missing. But at the same time, I was like, girl, like your man just got in almost to a scuffle with this one at the gas station. Why are you inviting him inside his parents' cabin? That's what I mean by she's toxic. She wants to fight. I would have threw them both out at that point. Like, both y'all can get the fuck out. You can get on Jerry Padalecki's little motor scooter over there and ride off into the sunset, bitch. 
would have done it in our heartbeat. I know you would have. But I, I just, so we talked about these characters being super unlikable and Trent's character is so overtly unlikable. Like he's literally a, Oh, don't touch the walls. No, that was expensive. Don't touch oh, the walls. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. When they get into his cabin. Dude, you just you can't touch his feet off the table. Well, you shouldn't put your feet on the table. That's rude. But among many other things, he was just very like, don't touch this. Don't touch that. You know, lights out at this time. You no know, shoes on the carpet. All of that. And absolutely just... no ass to mouth. Not in this house. And no sex in the champagne room, please. <laughs> There's never sex in the champagne room. <laughs> This is where I understand people's complaints with the movie because the first 25 minutes are fucking stellar. This is where it kind of dips. It doesn't start picking up until, of course, Jason pops back up and doing Mm -hmm. his shit. But this kind of, this is where the more paint by numbers becomes like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know? Like we already just like these characters. Let's hurry up and kill them off. Right. I don't need to know more about these characters because you're going to kill them off anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. The farmer from earlier heads into a farm and weighs out and smokes his newly found bud. But while he smokes, we get some more titty shots. When the farmer decides to start looking at vintage porn until he hears a noise coming from upstairs. Once in the attic, as he investigates, he finds a mannequin, Gina. Oh, it's just you, baby. It's been such a long time, Gina. You remember that special night we had? That night you took my virginity? Oh my god. (laughs) Jason quickly runs out of the shadows and attacks him. The farmer manages to rip off his bag and reveals his face. That shit's not fucking right, dude. Jason (laughs) slashes his neck, and amongst the items in the attack, Jason finds his famous hockey mask and dons his new look. This scene was completely reworked from what originally was going to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the original script, when he was jerking off, he was wearing Jason's hockey mask, and Jason just happens to come downstairs carrying kerosene yeah, that was mentioned kerosene earlier. Yeah, for some reason. I, it it kind of makes sense. Like, he might need mm-hmm. kerosene to, like, light his lanterns or whatever. And live tunnels. off the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's when Jason kills him and then takes his decapitated head and then rips the mask off. Mm-hmm. They added this to add more tension. Do you think it does that? No! It <laughs> added this total... And not to kink shame anyone, it added this <laughs> totally weird... We're not king shaving. Where this farmer's getting off on this mannequin who took his virginity, apparently. I don't know. I don't no, I don't agree. I think they should have just kept the original scene. It was that made much more sense to me. Because it doesn't heighten anything. We just get more what of tension this did you weird add? farmer character. I don't, I really don't have an answer for it. And I think I prefer that being jason's like this is how i got my my mask because i think it makes it funny as shit like mm-hmm. i chopped off this purevert's head and that's how i got my mask <laughs> now it's like i got this purevert who fucks mannequins like mask that he happened to have on the side of his room like in, in the like, locker what? like it's what it's this is his origin of his mask and it's just it's just uh that's the route you decided to go i i no we spent all this money and this is where we're at seriously We head back to the lake and join Nolan and the blonde while Jenna and Clay walk among a different side of the lake to discuss Clay's sister. On the walk, they find a broken GPS left by his sister's group and Clay places it in his bag. Back on the lake surface, Nolan steals Trent's boat and the blonde water skis topless in retaliation to Trent. 
She eventually wipes out and Nolan circles back to get her when Nolan is suddenly, arrow is shot straight through Nolan's head and his dead body falls into the steering wheel. The boat, now uncontrollable, drives into the blonde, injuring her. She probably has a really bad concussion. That looked gnarly. <laughs> it, it, it made me wince. Uh, as she tries to recover, she 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 shall, she shall she 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 Trying to remain as quiet as possible, she hides underneath the water. And when she lets her guard down, Jason slices through the dock and stabs her right in the head. And he pulls his machete up to pull her body out of the water for one last gratuitous titty shot. Oh, it's not the last one, but it's her last one. This, okay. So, okay. 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 How do we feel about this death setup and this set piece? Because honestly, this movie is just a bunch of vignettes of like, jason's jason killing people mm -hmm, what do we feel mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. this vignette i love this killing i knew scene. you would i knew I you would it. i love the sudden arrow through the head it totally caught me off guard and i love 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 that jason is using methods of killing that you would take part in at an actual camp so the archery that's something that's done in camp. So obviously like he would have access to bows and arrows and he has all this free time. So why wouldn't he teach himself how to use a bow and arrow? Um, so to me, it made sense that that's how he got it. And then I love the use of using the boat to kill the other one. Well, sort of killer. She gets her comeuppance. I agree with you with the usage of like a bow and arrow because it, I feel like it, I don't mean this in a bad way. I really don't. It makes Jason like this Rambo survivalist, like <laughs> extremist to me. Yeah. Like, of course he knows how to use a bow and arrow. And of course he knows how to use it effectively because Nolan's death is so fast. It is, it, it does catch you off guard. And mm -hmm. her death is so 80s slasher. Like, yeah, of course she gets stabbed in the head and when she's pulled up her titties are shown. Why? not it's one of the most memorable deaths because of that mm-hmm i love it it i thought this whole scene was great jenna and clay make their way to camp crystal lake as night falls and search the grounds for any trace of whitney they quickly hide once jason returns to his home with a body in hand and clay accidentally leaves his bag Jason quickly discovers Clay's bag and dumps the body to search for the visitors. Jason is aware someone is in his home and begins to search. The two make their way back into the cabin to warn Jenna's friends. They, however, unknowingly set off a trap and it's revealed that Jason has developed a warning system of bells underneath Crystal Lake. It is also shown that there is an underground fortress where Whitney is being kept captive. She screams for help only for the sound to be lost in her new jail cell. Okay, this is where I know a lot of people start disliking this movie. Mm -hmm. Jason, in this iteration, becomes a smart, manipulative, calculating kidnapper? That's suspicious. That's weird. So how do you feel about Jason's lair and Jason's mechanic of him kidnapping Whitney, which is so un-Jason? Right. That definitely deviated from the like original formula of Friday the 13th. Like never in the history of Friday the 13th has Jason kidnapped somebody and held them captive. Mm -hmm. um, that was weird, but sure, pop off. I guess that's a new element you wanted to add. Um, the lair, I love, it's great. He's gotta live somewhere. 
Um, and then I understand why they wrote in the this tunnel system underneath Camp Crystal Lake because they needed to kind of come up with the reason of how he could get so quickly from one side to the other and how he could just be popping up places. I understand why people are upset with this. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Why are these tunnels underneath Camp Crystal Lake that have never been referenced before? I don't know. It's a way to kind of get your point across, but I, I can see why people are upset about it and dislike it. So I, the tunnel aspect of everything, I actually really enjoy. I think it adds an element of realism to someone as Jason, who is so unrealistic. He's like this unmovable force, never dies, always pops up and just randomly appears. For me, I actually really like that aspect, but I can understand why people don't because Jason's always had this like magical realism to him that like <laughs> transcends other things. For me, I like this. I think this makes sense. I understand like, why are these tunnels here? But Jason's been here forever. What else is he gonna fucking do? Like he of course, like, he's going to make these tunnels and I love the aesthetic of the tunnels, mm -hmm. but I will address the kidnapping. The kidnapping just doesn't make sense to me. It's just like period. I understand we're going to talk about it in a second. Why he kidnaps Whitney. Mm -hmm. I guess I can talk about it more when we did, when we, when we officially get there, but this is like the, my biggest complaint with this movie is this like, kidnapping element that they decided to add in because it makes Jason more human to me, more human than he needs to be. You wanted to keep that kind of superficial, not superficial, supernatural element to him. Kind of, sort of, just along the terms of I like Jason exacting revenge no matter what, giving Jason a soft spot of someone looking like his mom um, so we can keep her gives Jason this like human feeling that I didn't necessarily need for my Jason, especially one that's just a survivalist protecting his territory. This, this just adds like a crazy element to it. Yeah, that's true. This is very true. I agree with that statement. Thank you. And welcome to my TED talk. <laughs> <clears throat> Jason makes his way to Whitney and preps his machete for his plans. He has flashbacks of his mother's death and begins to destroy his lair. He tries to attack Whitney, but is stopped when he reminds him of his mother. Once Jason leaves Whitney, he finds Clay's left backpack and knows her brother is searching for her. She raids his bag and discovers <laughs> the broken GPS and uses his partners to free herself from her chains. As she races through the underground tunnels, she finds a room with all the remains of Jason's victims, including the corpses of her friends. She tensely makes her way out and runs through the camp and off into the night. So I complained about the kidnapping. The Whitney escaping scenes are tense. I have to give credit where credit is due because I'm genuinely worried that Jason's going to come back to this weird new like development of Jason. Like now Jason has feelings and shit. Like what? Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. Whitney's smart. I'll give her that. But Whitney has no personality. I know nothing about Whitney except for the fact that she cared for her mother. So like there's no like if she dies, she dies. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you don't really care <laughs> for her. You don't sympathize. <laughs> I don't and that kind of sucks because they're trying to get you to sympathize with these characters but you just don't want to sympathize with these characters yeah well so, they didn't take the time to like fully flesh these characters out so you can't sympathize for them they really didn't they just threw in the fact that she cared for her dying mother thinking that was enough for you to sympathize for her that's what it is it's like bare minimum of like character development they're like no no no, no, no. her mom's dying people will love it they'll eat that shit up now that's fucked up no, no, they love when mothers die in movies. Look at Disney. They made it a whole corporation. <laughs> <laughs> 
At Trent's cabin, the remaining group drink and smoke, of course. Chewie attempts at impressing the other blonde character <laughs> and cheers with a, is that a fire shot? Is that what that's called? Sure. I don't know. That's some white people shit. I've never done them. Who lights a shot on fire? I don't get it. If someone can explain to me how that's also done, thank you. Anyways, he tries to hit on the blonde girl and accidentally burns his lips and in the process breaks one of Trent's parents' chairs. Chewie goes outside into the shed to find tools to fix the chair. While he goes outside, the blonde girl brings Trent into a room. Mm. I like Chewie. We'd mentioned it for a second. Do you want to explain your feelings towards Chewie? Because of course he's the comic relief. And I think he's adorable. He's adorable to an extent. I love that <laughs> he's the like stoner trope of the movie. We also forgot to uh, acknowledge Lucille, his bong that he brought to the cabin. <sighs> and uh, the other character, whoever his name Lawrence. is, the, the POC. Um, he is also a, a partaker of the marijuana. And so when he busts out Lucille, they have this like moment that is so cute and hilarious. <laughs> They're like, Lucille saw you cheating her with a bowl. A bowl! <laughs> I didn't mean it. Look at me, I'm coming right back. <laughs> uh, but moving on from Lucille. Um, I like Chewie. I like Chewie as a character. He's just there to have a good time. He's chill. He's the shaggy of the group. <laughs> um, and he's also like like most donors we don't have much game or anything so he wants to get at this girl but he doesn't have the courage to which is why they're drinking and hoping it'll help him and she comes up and she kind of like makes the first move and she's kind of coming on to him and he totally fumbles by burning his lip on a hot shot ah. glass which is something i would have totally done but i you also totally done but i also wouldn't have drank a shot that was just previously lit on fire come on fool it's just basic chemistry but so wait how do you feel about uh, Chewie. I love Chewie. I love Chewie. He's one of the few characters that I actually kind of have emotions towards because True. he's genuinely likable and none of these characters are None likeable. of them are likable. Nor they have a discerning personality. Like Chewie's the only one who has somewhat of a personality. But he breaks it. It's a device. I get it. And he goes into literally the largest shed I've ever seen. He makes the comment... <laughs> rich people call this a shed this would be a house for other people <laughs> like these people are disgustingly also rich, the chair he broke was apparently was ugly. A family was and it was apparently a family fucking heirloom who what why why is i thought family, family heirlooms heirloom? were like jewelry pieces a chair can be a family heirloom Bitch, now if somebody like god forbid in the setup that we got away. at the swap meet 12 <laughs> years ago is a family heirloom <laughs> shut up <laughs> If somebody left me a fucking recliner as an heirloom, I'd be pissed. I know. I know. It smells like your dead grandpa, though. <laughs> Once Tree makes his way into the giant shed, he finds tools, he finds expensive old alcohol. And as he drinks, Trent and the blonde girl hook up and we get more titties to fill our horror movie quota. <laughs> and we get probably one of my favorite, most hated, dreadful, cringeworthy lines of You can tell two white dudes wrote movie. this movie. Mm. Two white dudes with no game. I'm going to call you out. Who the f*** says this? Your tits are stupendous. Really, they're fucking awesome, man. Really? You know how they... to make a girl feel special. Mid- Coitus. He, they are still inside of each other, and he Ew, says don't this. use that phrase. Are you this, serious? I would have no. I would have jumped off. 
<laughs> you know what? You know what? All of a sudden, I can't do this. You know what? I'm dry. I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> what I find so funny is that the two writers on this one had stated that in Freddy, in Freddy versus Jason, the writing wasn't natural. And they wanted to make this one more natural. Are you kidding me? Both of these scripts had horrible dialogue. And I'm going to call you out. Because who the fuck? What? Who what? Who uses the word stupendous, especially in reference to a woman's breasts? And her reaction was, you really know how to make a girl feel special. No. Well, look at her surroundings. These are the kind of men she's used to. So. Blonde girl number two. This is what her surroundings are. Uh, Lawrence, alone, drunk, and high in the living room. Attempts at jacking off to a winter clothes catalog before he's interrupted by Jenna and Clay. I'm going to, we're going to talk about this real quick. Dude, first up, you are hot. I don't even, like, you're hot. But a winter clothes catalog and you're like, come on, swimsuit. Just give me something. Give me something. Give me a swimsuit. Ugh. Who the f- I can't. I can't. And then he attempts to do it in the common room. Open. Thank you. The, hello. This room is common to all of us. Unless you're into that voyeuristic shit. I don't oh, know. God. We just watched Real Housewives of a, like, just yesterday on this couch. And here you are pulling the page. <laughs> This is stupid. Moving on. The two try calling the police and figure out a plan. Jenna heads up to the room where Brie and... Oh, her name's Brie. The blonde girl, Brie, and Trent are porking each Brie. other. The other, other Brie. Goodness. I have to laugh. <laughs> uh, are po- they're porking each other. They're porking each other. Ew! <laughs> he goes on to say, You got perfect nipple placement, baby. You should win in a f***ing titty contest. Like... Excuse me, sir. What is this dialogue? Also, Jenna, you've been sleeping with this guy? I feel bad for you, honey. I know I'm a homosexual, but I know for a (laughs) fact that women do not like to hear this shit while they're having sex. Is that true? It's very true. (sighs) Okay. Moving on from this horrible (laughs) pork fest. (laughs) Even after Jenna tries to barge in, they continue while recording with the camcorder. But of course, Jason watches from the shadows. Drunk and high, Chewie fucks around in the shed and breaks the light while playing with a hockey stick. Of course, Jason appears and startles Chewie and is violently pushed against a wall of tools. Jason takes a screwdriver and takes his time pushing it into Chewie's neck, killing him slowly and bleeding out to death. And it is quite... Why did the nice one get the most gruesome death? Thank you. I'm like, this felt personal, darling. Like, what did he do? (laughs) Like, why did Chewie have to get the worst? Is it because we like him that they're like, you know what? Kill him slowly. Make the audience (laughs) suffer. (laughs) Make that motherfucker suffer. (laughs) It's it's bad, but I do like when Chewie's playing with the hockey stick. He's like, you want this? It'll complete your outfit. It goes with your outfit. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, I don't know. It sucked to see him die, but he had to go. You knew it was coming. Oh, everybody needs to die. F*** all these kids. Whitney makes her way into the house and tries to get the attention of Trent and the blonde girl while they are f***ing. But she is suddenly taken by Jason, even as the couple finish f***ing until all of a sudden, the lights go out. This is where I still get aggravated with the story. I'm going to mention it really quickly. Whitney escapes, and then she is recaptured. Why have her escape? 
This is some American Horror Story season two. Lana Winters going back to the asylum, getting out, <laughs> going back to asylum, getting out, going back to asylum, and then finishing by breaking out. I don't know. Maybe they wanted to give you a false sense of hope or... I don't know. They wanted to have her suffer, sister, suffer. Go <laughs> <laughs> through Parker Posey. I agree. That was stupid. Like you shot this whole scene of her escaping. A good tense her, scene too. Only to have her like recaptured. I agree. It's stupid. It was a stupid choice. The group gather together and tensions begin to flare. Trent even trying to accuse Jenna and Clay of each other. Lawrence, wanting to find Chewie, heads out armed with a walk pan and fire poker. He eventually finds Chewie's body and makes a run for it. He does get a good stab into Jason's leg and run towards back to the house. Jason darts after him and throws an axe straight through Lawrence's back. As he screams for help, the group decides if they should help him. Jason picks him up and turns him around and throws him onto the ground. Lauren lands on his back and the axe pushes straight through his chest. This scene scares me because Jason goes Charlie's Angels full throttle on his ass. Angel style! <laughs> it's great. I love it. I love that Jason also learned how to throw hatchets. I love that Lawrence is so like dedicated to his friend. And he goes out there, goes out there to like make sure he's okay and to save him. And then just he's the only one who goes out there. I mean, I don't blame the others for not going outside either. I mean, his death though is so interesting because they add another element to Jason where Jason starts developing plans. He uses Lawrence as a ploy to get these kids out of there. He's yes. using him as a trap. And I love that. See, like this movie's hard because there's parts of it that I, <laughs> awful. But then there's parts of it, I'm like, this is a neat concept. I don't really remember a time, you can correct me if I'm wrong, where Jason uses someone like this to try and pull them out because he continues to do it later on in the movie. This is true. This is a new aspect that they've added. And I kind of agree. I kind of like it. It makes them scarier. Having someone who is so terrifying and such a force of nature and then making them also manipulative and calculating. Ugh, that's a horrible combination. That's a terrifying combination. Trent arms himself with the stowed away gun as Jason makes his way up on top of the roof. Bree, wearing only Trent's buttoned up shirt, goes to the bathroom and is quickly grabbed by Jason. He pushes her up against an antler wall hook, quickly taken out. I, hold on, pump the brakes here, sis. I do not agree that, because it's all quiet in the house at this point. And mm -hmm. so Jason, quote unquote, quietly kills her by, you know, putting his hand over her mouth and then just hooking her to the wall. I don't believe for a second that that little one inch towel hook impaled her so badly that she died instantly and didn't scream or make any noise. I think you're right. I think that she should have been making noise. I don't believe this. However, later on when Trent starts getting trigger happy he shoots through the door and i think he's actually the one that kills brie that's my own like do 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 theory do 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 ah possible because i agree with you that shouldn't have killed her i also think she probably should have been screaming her head off you yeah. probably could never walk again but like <laughs> you're dead i don't know if you're dead yet whatever i'm not a doctor <laughs> the police finally arrive to the cabin and before the group can even let officer bracken Jason jumps in front of the door and stabs a fire poker through his eye and through the door. The remaining group gather together, but Trent is too frightened and unaware of how to arm himself. He becomes trigger happy. Fair. The three make their way out of the house and as Trent tries to radio for help in the cop car. Jason chucks Bree's corpse onto the car, shattering the windshield. 
Jenna and Clay make chase and discover Lawrence's body in the hot tub as it fills with blood. I love, I love, it's referred to as the final girl gambit. Essentially when the final girl starts discovering all her friends' dead bodies and she's making her way through this like horror triathlon to fight the, the villain at the end. I like this. I love any vignettes or sequences where the final girl goes, oh my God, it was Lawrence. And it's just like him like <laughs> dead up in the pool. I also, like we keep mentioning Jason as like this new calculating creepy type of factor guy. Throwing Bree's body onto that car is both effective getting the fucking kids out of there and out of that car, but also traumatizing as shit. Like that is terrifying. I mean, I'm sure Trent was like horrified because it was just some woman who was porking and he doesn't care. Oh my God. Misogynistic and a piece of shit. Oh wow. But he's a piece of shit. I agree. I love this scene. It's kind of like the Halloween reveal where you're seeing all the dead bodies pop up. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. It, you always need a good vignette kind of like that in this movie. Officer Brack, I love his death. I love. I think my favorite part about it is the camera movement of them being on one side of the door and then the camera pans and shifts over oh, to the yeah. other side of the door. It's like sick shot. They have a good handful of shots in this movie. There's also a pullout shot when they're in the car at the very beginning of the movie with all the kids and that's like oh, yeah. out of the SUV. I love it. I wish we kind of had more shots that- You know where that shot is also used? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Trent runs into the forest and loses his gun when he trips into some water. He somehow finds his way onto a road and finds a pickup truck with the mysterious driver. Trent slowly approaches the truck until he is stabbed from behind and picked up with the machete. Jason shoves him onto the pickup truck through a spike. The frightened truck driver drives off with Trent's body still attached. And I would have done the same. This shit, I'm out. I wouldn't even stop if that fucker came out into the road. But whatever. I wouldn't have either. from the valley. <laughs> I'm not doing that shit. Hello, Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. I know. I get it. I get it. It's a good device. I understand. I like the idea of a town being aware of Jason, but not wanting to fuck with him because they know they'll die. Just don't repeat it in the same way as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The exact same way. I do think though that his death is so satisfying because his death of being how would i describe it jason shoves the machete through him and then lifts him through the machete as it begins to essentially split him in half from where he was freaking stabbed and then chucked onto a truck and then driven away treated like a rag doll like the piece of shit he is this truck had like spikes or like a toe what is that or something i don't know some hetero shit and so he just like (laughs) stuck him on there and then he gets dragged away into town jenna and clay finally make their way back to the camp once there they begin to hear whitney scream for help they follow the screams into the underground system and lair the two siblings are finally reunited clay tries to break her chains as quickly as possible but jason begins to make his descent into his lair they manage to break her free and run through the tunnels and jason discovers whitney's disappearance and begins to dart after them did you feel anything when the siblings finally got reconnected? No. Thank I you. I feel a damn thing. You can't start off the movie with Jerry Padalecki being so intent on finding a sister and he seems distraught and all this. And then when he finally sees her, they say hi for two seconds and then they're, I understand like it's like they're in the middle of something, like obviously You're running killer for after life. them. But at the same time, like you just reunited with a sister who you thought might've been dead and you finally found her. I was expecting more of like an emotional reaction. A little bit of a moment, something. I know, give, a, give us the audience of something like we want them to be together. Like we wanted them to reunite. But 
I don't believe they miss siblings. I don't believe them that they care about each other because like, you don't care about these characters. They don't have any backstory. They, there's nothing to them. They're cardboard cutouts. The group reach a dead end and must crawl through a small hole in order to escape. Clay and Whitney make it through and as Jenna crawls, a machete is suddenly stabbed right through her and she dies to Clay's astonishment. In the shuffle, the siblings knock over a lantern and set Jason's lair on fire. The siblings find a hatch and make their way out of the tunnels, but through an abandoned school bus. As Clay tries to pull his sister out of the bus, Jason grabs a hold of him and forces Whitney to hide. Once he finds her, Whitney cries, Fuck you! And begins to fight with Jason as she frees herself and finds Clay, who is somehow okay. Okay, so I have to... Be <laughs> okay. The Jenna death. Jenna was not a character. She, like I said, she was a device used. I just, though, I do have to admit, on my first watch, I was not ready. Or I was very taken aback when Jenna died. Because she's she's the good girl. She's the girl that's going to make it to the end. She's the girl that's going to rise up and be the final girl. But surprise, we killed her. And for me, for me, oh for me, God. personally... I was gagged in goop on my first watch, even though on this watch, I was like, cool, she's dead. Like, she was dead weight, to be quite honest. <laughs> she really was! <laughs> but, like I stated from the beginning, I don't like any mm -hmm. of these characters, and I don't care for any of these characters. When mm -hmm. she was dead, I was like, okay, cool, another one to add to the body count. You're right. You're not wrong, because there's no connection to these characters. I guess it's my own, like, Disney Channel fame. I was like, oh my god, not her from Rated and Weep. I love her. <laughs> I'm not familiar with any of that, but go on. The duo run into the farmhouse from earlier in the film as the night begins to rain and thunder. They arm themselves with tools until Jason crashes through the window and grabs a hold of Clay yet again. They shuffle and Jason attempts at pushing Clay into a wood chipper, but Whitney distracts Jason by calling out his name and holding the locket from his mother. Jason reaches out to her as Clay clamps a bear trap onto him and Whitney ties the chain around Jason's neck. They throw the chains into the wood chipper and the chain drags Jason up and he begins to struggle. His weight is too much and he brings the roof down and attacks. The chains though begin to pull him back and he is brought towards the wood chipper as he struggles to save himself. In a last ditch attempt, Whitney grabs his machete and states, Jason, say hi to mommy in hell. Like, I, it's, I don't, like, well, okay. She stabs him with his own weapon and Jason dies as the siblings watch in fear. Okay, uh, this is our finale. We're officially mm -hmm. here. We didn't address that Clay got attacked by Jason and then just like was miraculously okay and that wasn't explained. It's a total plot hole. Whatever, I'll move on. Among many. Among many. Jason's death. How do we feel about Jason's comeuppance and his final death in this, this scene? I thought this was a good way to kill him off. We had already introduced the wood chipper earlier with the farmer. Um, and obviously none of these kids are strong enough or well-equipped enough to take down the powerhouse that is Jason in this movie. Cause mm -hmm. He's fucking massive. He's charged as Terrifying. fast. Yeah. So there was no way that even all of them to combine together would have been able to take him down. So they would have had to find like an outside source to kill him. And I think using the wood chipper and like, throwing a chain around his neck and like tossing that into Witch Shepherd was a good way to kill him. And then of course, using his own machete get him. Sure. Why not? I kind of disagree. Really? For me. Yeah. For me, like this film has been building and the ending of this movie becomes a little lackluster for me, especially after what we experienced at the beginning, 
the dip that is the middle, I was hoping that it'd like ramp up. And I will say that a lot of these deaths are sick. I love a lot of them. They're effective. They work. I want these fucking horrible characters to die. But Jason's death, I was kind of expecting more. I do think he dies in a pretty extravagant way. Hello, the whole fucking roof comes down. And he we pull another like, oh, Jason, it's me, your mommy. But I don't know. I, w- I wish Jason could have died in a more extravagant way, especially since he was... He's such a force in this movie. And he's taken out by a wood chipper and a stab to the chest. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things to poke at with this movie. So I think what does it for me is that I'm not satisfied with our final girls. I think that's why. I I don't feel like they, they probably did earn it for other people. This grand finale and this death, Whitney probably more so than anyone. But I don't care about Whitney. So when she does get her big last line which i think sucks this last yeah, line it's sucks. really bad say hi to mommy in hell like no no it sounds like someone's fan fiction from eighth grade that they wrote about <laughs> Friday the 13th, and that was like their final so yeah. I, I think that's where it like diminishes because the last line wasn't good it's no um welcome to nightmare my nightmare bitch you know it's like it's not yeah. that and it's, I don't feel like it's earned from Whitney, even though she did go through a shit ton of stuff, like whatever. You know why though? But it's because we didn't see her go through that shit ton of stuff. We fast forward through all that until we find her. So we don't You're care. You're right, yeah. We didn't see her go through the trials and tribulations really. Mm-hmm. So she's like, yes, she's a final girl, but because we didn't see her go through all the like final girl triathlon, if you want to call it, we don't care. We're like, oh no. bitch, but yeah, you say you did all these things, but where are the receipts? Where are your scars, <laughs> bitch? Where are your emotional scars? I have scars too. <laughs> Moving on with this horrible movie. We are then shown shots of each murder scene, small vignettes of each death, and lastly shown Jason's abandoned bed. In the morning, the siblings sit at the dock as they push Jason's, Jason's corpse into the crystal lake and toss both his mask and his locket into the water. Clay tries to comfort Whitney when Jason jumps to the dock and brings Whitney into the waters with him for one last jump scare. We cut to black and the credits roll. Friday the 13th is known for that last minute last scare. The last, mm-hmm. the first movie is infamous for it. That's what started the whole thing. That is Jason. Thank you. This is Jason's M.O. So I'd like that they ended here. I think it feels satisfactory. But like I said, I, I think they just don't deserve the final girl. I think... Clay does because he goes through everything more so than Whitney, but we're tr- they're trying to get us to identify with Whitney more. So I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. So we've come to the end of our early remake of a classic. What do you feel? How do you feel? What's your rating on this camp movie? It's not even a, like we're at a camp, but I, I'm not going to consider it like a serial killer camp movie. Yeah, I definitely. Okay. So like we stated from the beginning, we enjoy this movie and we definitely acknowledge that it's not without its faults. It's, they are plentiful, plenty of faults with this movie. Plot holes, we don't care for the characters. Uh, so many things, choose one of them, any of them. Um, Look at the all, list, pick one. <laughs> all that considered, I can take this at face value for what it is and still appreciate what I like from yeah, it. For sure. Um, for my rating, I'm going to have to give this a three out of five. Why? Scratch that. Let me give it a two out of five. Oh. And that's Why? only because I only like the 
I like my favorite parts of this movie are all in the beginning. It's the opening credits and it's the cold open of the 25 minutes. Everything after that, aside from the kills, is garbage, mama. These characters are garbage. These dialogue, the dialogue is garbage. The delivery of it is garbage. The only parts of this movie I enjoy are, are Jason and the kills. So for that reason, I want to give it a two out of five. It was all for Jason. I don't care about any of these characters. It's Jason, it's Jason. I've seen this movie 10 <laughs> times. You are valid. You are correct. Everything you stated is the truth. But for me, it's a three out of five. And because those that first 25 minutes are fucking everything. Quite honestly, if you don't like this movie, you I, I hope you at least appreciate the first 25 minutes because they are fantastic. They are fast, they are brutal. That is a Friday the 13th movie. The rest of the movie, these characters suck. I just, I, the plot development doesn't make sense. There's plot holes, the dialogue, the the, the, the acting, the, 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 the all of it, except for Jason. Jason is the star of these movies. And I think that's why I don't mind. And I don't think that this is such a horrible movie, but it is a movie that you can put on, have a great time. You know what you know what you're in for. You absolutely yeah. know what you're in for. This is total like formulaic to the basic Friday the 13th movie. Just amped up on like the gore and like the scariness for Jason. Which I think I really like. If we were to get another Friday the 13th movie, which is always rumored, everybody's always saying that there's going to be a new Friday the 13th movie. If we were to get one, I would say we really need to develop characters that we care a little bit more for, but keep this Jason. I, this is probably my favorite iteration of Jason because he's mm -hmm. not campy. He makes sense. He is terrifying to me and i think that's effective when you're trying to update something because we talked about it in uh nightmare on elm street they just made him like wimpy and annoying and i don't like freddy in that movie mm -hmm. this jason feels updated he feels scarier and that's what you should always do for a remake much like in the halloween reboot like they brought back michael myers and made him scary again Mm -hmm. They really did. So on, on that is like the one successful thing that this remake did was that they made Jason scary again. Mm -hmm. Okay, counselors, that was the end of our of our last flick of the season. Ah! Wow. We've enjoyed our month-long getaway adventure. We've enjoyed isolated getaways, gotten to see greased up saxophone gods, and even survived some dinos. But all good things must come to an end. And next week's episode is our season finale for our first season. But of course, we had to go out with some fun. We are ending our first season with our very first Final Girl Smackdown for the Horror Crown. Next week's episode, we are going to be setting up each Final Girl from our very first season in a head-to-head -head competition to see who our ultimate season one Final Girl is. We will be arguing both sides to see who will remain victorious. Hell yeah, this is gonna be a SmackDown for the crown for to be hell. I don't know what I'm saying, but I can't wait. I'm so stoked. We're just wanting a fun, stonerific, good old time celebrating. Like, I'm very proud of us for getting through to this accomplishment. If you would like to keep up with us, follow us on our Instagrams at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. 
My personal account is at STFU Ray. We hope you enjoyed everybody. And we can't wait to see you all on our season finale. Woo! Season finale, season one. <laughs> stay safe. Stay queer. Your tits are stupendous. <laughs> bye, everyone. Bye, 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 bye. bye, bye.